men. We are not simple, chest-thumping, rock-smashing, fire-starting barbarians. We have depth. We intensely feel. We are scared, yet brave. We love to have fun. We're imperfect and make mistakes. We're compassionate and loving. We are multifaceted. Let's explore the reality of masculinity together. Today's conversation is going to be, I, I hopefully enlightening, just in the sense of understanding how to process the grief. And it really came from the fact that, um, you know, I, I went through a divorce a couple of years ago, and recently it was my anniversary. And it's not that I was expecting that day to be an amazing day or a horrible day, but I was actually caught off guard by the the wave of grief as we're calling it in today's episode that kind of washed over me or hit me it kind of caught me off guard we're we're going to get into more of the details of that um as we go into today's conversation but i think it's important to talk about the the reality that going through a divorce is requiring you to grieve the death of a marriage first and foremost and, you know, both Seth and I, like we've both been through a divorce. And so we all know all too well. And, and our stories are a bit different, but I think there's similarities in the sense of understanding grief and how to navigate through it and the importance of choosing to lean into that and process through it in a healthy way rather than do what a lot of people do, you know, when they're grieving in sense of suppressing or shutting down, et cetera. So, um, Seth, I guess first and foremost, the I'd be curious to hear from you just an ov- overarching understanding of of the stages of grief. We're not we're not going exclusively into grief today in the sense of a full teaching on grief, but just kind of high level what what's a common kind of process that people walk through when it comes to navigating the emotion of grief. Yeah, and I I think that it's important just to make a disclaimer here that, you know, we are talking about riding the waves of grief, grief post-divorce, but yeah. that everything that we talk about today, it can be applied to just grief in general, right? Grief being the, the pain of loss, the pain of loss of, of something, whether it's a relationship, uh, it could be a, you know, it could be a business opportunity, um, a broken promise. I know we're going to even talk about like memories. I know, I know I want to just the, the grief that I feel in, in the memories that I have of the past and the promise that those had at the time. And now they're just memories, Uh, but even just expectations and how that creates disappointment and what we do with that grief and how most people avoid grieving because it, because it just, it engages them with the pain. Um, but there's like, you know, the, the levels of grief that have really been kind of created or drawn out um, just to go through them real quick, just so we have them there. And then we'll dial into to the different ones that we, I know we want to talk about. But, you know, the first one might be disbelief or shock, right? If something happens, now we're in a place of disbelief. We don't, you know, we don't um, really, we're confused. We don't really understand what's going on. We're in shock. Then we move into denial where we're, we're just going to like, no, nah, this isn't really happening. And then once denial is done and we we're done denying the fact that something has happened, we've lost something. Then we get angry, 
right? Now we're in a place of anger. Uh, and then we start to engage with the guilt. Like maybe what is our side? You know, yeah. this wouldn't have happened if it, if I didn't do X, Y, and Z and feeling the pain of the guilt. Uh, and then we, and then we kind of move into this place of bargaining, like, you know, trying to manipulate either God or somebody else uh, or even ourselves. And so we start bargaining. I'll do this. If you do that, we kind of try to make a, a trade. Um, and then once we get towards the end of the different, uh, these different levels or stages of, of grief, we, we feel the depression. We kind of get really low. We, we, we've had this emotional roller coaster and now we're just kind of crashing down, hitting, hitting bottom. And then we arrive at the place of acceptance. And that's what we want to reach, you know, is that place of acceptance um, where we can, from that place, we're no longer a victim. Uh, we can start creating our, you know, our world now. Uh, and moving into that place of creator. So that's just like a brief kind of overview of the this, the quote unquote seven le- levels or qu- seven stages. I like to call them levels, Josh, just because stages sounds like, you know, we move from one to two to three to four and we eventually get to yeah. seven and we're cured. But in my experience, I bounce between all of those. Like I'll go from like one to four to three to six, eventually arriving at seven. So I'm like, on an elevator, just going up and down on these different levels. And sometimes I have to, even if I get to a place of acceptance with, with something, I realize later that there might be a part of it that I still haven't grieved yet. And I have to go back to one of those, those, um, those levels. Yeah. And I, I mean, just to touch real quickly on, I, I think all of them are important to navigate, but if there is one emotion, I think that just people in general, but men, need to learn to be okay on and and i actually think this would be a great episode for us to dive into a little bit further is the emotion of anger you know i i had a client who lost a um a niece and was going through these stages and i remember you know she at the time was she felt shame for feeling angry at god for it happening and I remember telling her, you know, it's God's not afraid of your anger. It's okay to actually be angry and to to question him and the situ- situation, et cetera, and to just give her permission, which I think if you're if you're processing through grief, you need to be okay with letting that anger be present as part of the grief. You know, and that's it's not to say it's permission to specific for divorce, you know, a lot of times that anger is pointed at the ex, right? You know, yeah. ah, why didn't you do this or that or, you know, whatever. And it's not so much that as much as it is anger as 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 a healthy emotion in response to the the loss that you're having to navigate. Because like you said, it I I think before we go any further, it's to understand that divorce in and of itself is a death. It's the death of a marriage. And, and so when you see it that way, you know, a lot of people, they look at it as a failure, right? I, I didn't, I wasn't able to make the marriage work or we weren't able to make the marriage work. And so they go into it laced with shame and, and, and disappointment, understandably. But if you look at it for what it is, which is there is actually a death taking place then you can better understand and approach the process of grieving for what it is. It's grieving a death. Like you said, you know, I, we had 
several memories together. You know, my ex and I, we were married for 11 years. We knew each other for 15 years. And, and, and so we did life together. We moved places. We pursued dreams and had community. And, and there's a loss there, had children. And, and there's the loss of those memories. Those memories are still there, but there's the loss of continuing to build those memories as well as the dreams. Like there's a death in the dreams that, you know, you at one point, even if things didn't end well, at one point, you guys sat on a porch and had coffee or were on vacation or whatever, laying in bed after having sex. And you're, you're dreaming together about the life that you're wanting to build. And that's no longer present. And and so to see it for what it is, which is there is a death that has taken place and it's not easy. You know, my dad, his first wife died of cancer and then he ended up getting divorced from my mom after I had grown and moved out. And I remember having a conversation with him where he said, you know, both were hard and and painful, etc. But it was almost easier not to, you know, misconstrue that word. but for his the loss of his first wife because there was closure there. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have kids, you know, you're sharing custody and you're still hearing about the other person's life from your kids and all of that's still there so it's almost like picking at that scab and so understanding that those these waves of of grief, you know, may may be drawn out or resurface more frequently within a divorce situation than necessarily a loss of someone a physical death because you have that closure. And, and to just be okay with understanding the reality that that is part of navigating divorce is first and foremost, seeing it for the death that it is, and then understanding that you're going to go through all of these stages or ride the elevator. I like that analogy yeah. um, within the grieving process. Well, you're, you're moving me into a level of depression, just listening to you. <laughs> Talking about how sad those things are, but, but probably just because I'm resonating with what you were saying about the marriage part. And yeah, there's, I mean, especially this time of year, and it's interesting that we're talking about it as we move into the holiday season, people are, they are recalling years past, you know, and memories past. And even just thinking about it, I'm, I'm feeling emotional because, um, this time of year was so special to me and it, and it, especially when I had kids, because I wanted to create this time of year as something very memorable. And so when we get, you know, to touch back on anger, the first year after separation or divorce, like I just remembered feeling so angry that I don't get to have those same memories as a family unit anymore. And now I, and I, and I don't have it in a house with my wife and the kids, all of us, because I mean, my marriage, and I've, I might've touched on this in a previous episode, you know, I look at my marriage of eight years and even in the beginning, I would say that I, I looked at it as 20% good and 80% bad, you know, just the hard times, the bad times, we just never really were able to connect um, as well as I'd hoped. We weren't really a good match objectively. And so 80% of the time it was bad and 20% it was good. But this time of the year, no matter what bad stuff was happening, it was good. Like we were having a lot of amazing memories. And so now I'm feeling the, the grief of not having those anymore. And it makes me angry. And 
like you said, how we process anger is very important. Some men don't even, they won't even allow themselves to feel that emotion because they weren't allowed to feel it as children. And so we're taught not to feel it. Um, But you were saying like, feel angry, but don't essentially, essentially don't sin in your anger. Don't let your anger come out mess in a messy way and create more issues with people. Like don't have it come out in a messy way towards somebody. Uh, Don't be essentially pointing your anger energy at somebody, but there's a way to healthily in a healthy way, process that anger. Um, I know in the past, one of the ways I did it, it was very therapeutic was to go beat a pillow or go beat up on a pillow, go get a bat, beat against a tree. Yep. Something like that. Yeah, that was a that was a very common homework assignment that I give to clients, which is go for a walk in the woods, mm. pick up a stick and beat the shit out of a tree. Like yeah. because our bodies hold emotions yeah. and there's an energy attached to those emotions. And so we need to actually let those out. And anger, like I said, it, it could could and should be its own episode to really dive deep within the layers of that. But just to touch real quickly, I, I think it's it's either we weren't allowed to express anger as children or we the model that we were given for the emotion of anger actually wasn't anger it was rage it was an unhealthy mm. overpowering emotion in order to shut you down and so men who have good hearts are afraid to be okay with anger because their association with anger is actually rage which is directly connected to the pain from their childhood mm. and and so um, I, I mean, I don't want to fixate on that one, one emotion too much just because there are the, the layers of that. But going back to, you know, the, the, the waves of depression or the waves of grief that are associated with, with divorce, you know, I, I used to say if, if grief is a wave, I, I learned how to surf off of the coast of California on a, you know, nice day where the waves crest at a, you know, a foot or two. And then divorce happened, which I didn't want, I didn't see coming. I lost myself in the attempt to fight for my marriage. And so then when it actually came to an end, it was it was one of my worst case scenarios because a dream of mine was to grow old together, right? And and so it was like I I went from like, oh yeah, I can I know how to navigate grief to all of a sudden getting dropped off of the coast of Hawaii with a typhoon coming in where they've got those 40 foot super waves and it comes crashing down. And I remember distinctly remember being on the ground in the fetal position, bawling, just going like, how did this happen? Why that whole denial piece and, um, the disbelief and the shock that felt like super waves. And, Fortunately, I had established relationships with a few core men, which I think is vital for healthy masculinity, where I would I would purge that grief, but at the same time I would reach out to them. And, you know, one was my brother and and one was a close friend, and I would be on the phone bawling, not understanding. I was in that disbelief, shock, denial stage when it was first happening. And those waves subside, but those waves don't go away. Like the ocean always creates waves no matter what. And back to my anniversary, it was just, it was a wave I didn't see coming, you know? And so it kind of caught me off guard where I woke up that day and I was kind of feeling off and feeling down. And 
wanted to check out, go to my escape mechanisms, you know, just kind of run to that familiar place of temporary safety instead of processing through it. And it was about midday when I, I caught like, oh, wait, today would have been our anniversary. And just understanding the concept of the waves of grief and, and the, the pain that is consistently still associated with the reality of divorce. Then I took the rest of that day. I, I think I Marco Poloed you and, um, and connected with a few people and then just kind of took that afternoon to let myself feel more of that depression slash guilt, pain side of things. And recognizing that for what it was, letting myself, giving myself permission to kind of have an off day to grieve. Then the next day, I, you know, I woke up, it wasn't like all of a sudden I was on top of the moon or anything, but I woke up feeling better because I let myself process through that wave instead of try to fight it and double down on work and you know, ignore that that's happening or drink extra coffee and get, you know, get, get myself shaking and productive, et cetera, which I think a lot of men gravitate to unintentionally, subconsciously, you know, we feel this wave coming. And so we exert a ton of energy to try to just suppress it and keep it at bay by staying busy or numbing out or, you know, all of the unhealthy things that we can escape into to try to suppress it. Yeah, I mean, the, these emotions are are very uncomfortable. I understand why we avoid looking at uh, these emotions and and actually grieving. I understand why we don't. I I think that some people even enter into some of these stages unbeknownst to them, they, and they might move directly into depression and uh, and instead of you know working through the different stages, they um, they numb out, like you just said. They they medicate. And that's, and I get why people do that. I get why people have addiction. I understand why people uh, binge on Netflix or drink too much or, you know, uh, throw themselves into pornography or work or gambling or shopping or eating is a big one. You know, I understand why we do those things is because we're all trying to avoid these really uncomfortable emotions, but how important it is to just recognize where you're at you know, in the grief, in the grief stages or in the grief levels so that you know that, Hey, I don't have to stay in this place. Like you yeah. did, you like gave yourself permission to move through probably, I don't know if you, you, you felt the, you know, you felt disbelief and shock initially, but you probably bounced between these different stages on your anniversary to eventually land on acceptance. Maybe the next day, I don't know, but what did, what did your grief grieving actually look like? on that day uh it looked like looking at porn and masturbating about nine times really is that yeah i just is went to fair? town okay no that's no. Fair. Oh. <laughs> i, I like, love right. how you just Josh is getting real. Your... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no which no, you know no. what, which I, would I, be fair i wouldn't even i wouldn't even judge you for that you know but yeah yeah i mean i definitely porn was a, an escape mechanism for sure for right. me and that's probably why i you know use that as the joke but um, you know, for me, it, it was, it, it's not like it's a clear defined, you know, okay, on my anniversary, I felt depressed, I felt pain, I felt anger, like, I wasn't trying to necessarily identify these different, mm. you know, levels that I was on necessarily. But what it did, and, and so in that also, it was the next day, it's not like, okay, now I've arrived at acceptance, you know, right. 
but that it, it you know we would often say you feel like you have a wet blanket you know just kind of over you and and that's that's really what i felt it was more of the depression you know kind of the pain associated with it but then that next day it wasn't that i consciously said i've arrived at acceptance now but it that's essentially what it was is you know i was able to move through um that that day and and still you know take time to uh, what i did was I, I felt down, I felt depressed, I felt pain, all of that. But, and we're going to get into this in a second, but because I've chosen to live with my heart open, I also took time to acknowledge the good that came from my marriage and to be mm -hmm. grateful for my ex and, um, and, and to kind of counterbalance some of that depression and negativity with gratitude and love, which moved me into that kind of like the, that next day I'm going, okay, now I'm, I'm, you know, this is where my life is. This is the reality of it. This isn't what I planned, but this is where I find myself and you know, began to continue to move forward in that. And, and so that's kind of the 30,000 foot view of, of how I approached it. But I think it ultimately comes down to, and we've touched on it a, a couple of ways, but maybe a way of saying it is you get to choose on the other side of divorce as a man. You get to choose to live with your heart open or your heart closed. And excuse me, what I mean by that is if you if you choose to live with your heart open as we have, you're going to feel those waves through the divorce process as well as after. You know, like it's been a couple of years and I'm still that that I didn't see that wave coming, but it's still there. But you also are able to access that gratitude for what you had, for those memories, for that other person. You know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that my marriage helped me evolve as a man, even within our dysfunction, our codependency, the unhealthy aspects of it, there was still good that came from it. And it helped me grow in certain ways. And it's, it's helped me keep my heart soft in the sense of empathy and connection for myself, for my other relationships, for, towards my kids. Um, you know, just it, it keeps me in a heart posture and a position where um, I'm able to emotionally be present in life. And then ultimately, it's helped me find ownership and, and acceptance and grow as a person and find healing, which has then translated into, you know, the relationship I'm in now is fundamentally different on a lot of levels, not just because it's a different person, but because through the divorce process and keeping my heart open, I was able to identify areas that I needed to take ownership, that I didn't take ownership within my marriage, and to um, evolve as a person, which ultimately helps you keep and prevent from recreating another relationship based on those unhealthy dynamics. You know, a lot of people, uh, men, we're talking about specifically, if you respond to the grief of divorce by closing your heart, it may help you actually produce more results in business temporarily or whatever. But what it also does is it ultimately causes you to become bitter and resentful or requires you to continue to exert energy in suppressing and staying numb or being attached to your coping mechanisms. And what that does is it blocks you from taking ownership. And so you find these guys that, you know, they've been married three, four or five times and 
ultimately what they're doing is they're just recreating the familiar, which was unhealthy mm-hmm. because they haven't let the their heart remain open, process the grief associated with it, and really not just find acceptances for what the divorce was or what the marriage couldn't be, etc., but to take ownership in those areas that they need to and evolve and grow as a man. Yeah, it's so good. That's really good because I mean, what you're essentially hitting on here is that when we don't take a look at where we're at and, and take ownership, then we do stay close because we don't want, we don't want to look at it. We don't want to take ownership. You know, we, we want to blame the other person. It's really easy to do that. Um, and, and to go back to, you know, the question I asked of just like, how did you grieve? As soon as I, I asked you that question, I was thinking, you know, you answered it so well. It's like during my grief day, I'm not sitting there going, okay, I'm in stage three now. All right. Okay. I'm going to, you know, an hour later, I'm moving into stage six. Yeah. But that, that's just not, that's not reality. And, and I'm reminded, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a, a military metaphor and the fact that it's veterans day. It makes sense, so I'm going to use it. But when we're on the battlefield, we don't stop and you know and clean our gun, clean our weapon, make sure it's firing okay. No, we're we're trying to attack the enemy, right? And so to sit in this place of like confusion and chaos and feeling a whole bunch of emotions, we're not sitting there going, okay, where am I? What stage am I in? Doing this introspective thing. That's just not reality. It's not possible. And yeah. so you know, being able to just give ourselves grace to be where we're at, to be honest with where we're at in the moment and just do the best that we can. And then in a couple of days, we can look back and go, okay, I was feeling this. I was feeling this. Okay. I see where I was in this, in this place of grief. And I think that is part of keeping our hearts open is recognizing where we're at. I know. um, And one thing I want to touch on in regards to the emotions of, of grief and one thing that men really have a hard time doing, and, and, and I'm assuming that you did some of this on, on your grief days d- during the anniversary, uh, because I celebrated my, well, I shouldn't say I celebrated. I had my, <laughs> my anniversary. Would have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did the same thing. You know, I had our anniversary, uh, what would have been our anniversary come up recently as well. And I didn't feel, I don't recall feeling anything like you had felt on yeah. your anniversary recently. And um. And I'm wondering, you know, I sit there and I wonder why, and, and I reflect on the year previous or the, you know, the year before that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did have a, a period of time where I was grieving and moved through those different stages where I remember feeling the anger. I remember pointing the finger at her, being resentful at her, which, you know, that's okay. If you just realize afterwards that if you stay in that place of resentment, then it's not going to help you any, right? But if yeah. I can go, okay, I resented her. Now I can forgive her. And one of the big helpers for me at that time, I just remember sitting on the couch and I um, happened to be working with uh, some plant medicine that night, uh, working with um, some psilocybin mushrooms. And it helped me move into that place of forgiveness. You know, yeah. like I was having trouble navigating these emotions. And after working with that, that medicine or in the middle of it, I was able to kind of sit there and just almost like I was engaging with her and just saying, I forgive you uh, for this, that, and the other thing. I don't want to be angry anymore. Um, I know I, I had my part to play. I took ownership in, in what, you know, my, my side of the road in this relationship. Um, now, I say all that also to say that 
since then, I've still had moments where I haven't been the best, you know, where I've, sure. I feel upset with her and I move back a level in, you know, into anger uh, or into depression. And so this is a process. And even though I might have come to acceptance on some things in my post-divorce, there's still other things I have to revisit, you know, and give, give some attention to. And how I react to those things, like we, we talk about the default mode network. The way that I used to default, that default my responses and reactions to her have changed because one, I'm working with plant medicine, but two, using that to help me identify my blind spots and saying, okay, I can't react the same way anymore. I have to change my default reaction, my response to her, to my life, because I can't be the victim anymore. I need to be the creator in my own life and, and move post-divorce into something that's powerful. So I can take that into my next relationship, which I have, like you, like you have into your relationship. Like this relationship that I have right now would not have come about, would not have come about if I wasn't ready for it. And it took all of, it took that grieving process for a year, two years to get me to that place where I can now bring strength to this new relationship. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, that's, we'll probably always interweave plant medicine into some of our conversations in some capacity because it's not necessarily plant medicine but i remember distinctly probably one of the biggest things in in my process of healing and and understanding this whole journey of grief in these waves was um i had a an evening with mdma and where i essentially sat down in my room sat across from my ex like she wasn't there but in, in the moment, you know, uh, visualized her sitting there and we, we just had a conversation and I was in this place of, of love and understanding. And, uh, I was able to really, it, it helped me move into the acceptance more than I think probably anything did because I was able to share honestly, um, where I had fallen short, where, you know, to, to grieve in this place of love helping you know from from help with the mdma um to acknowledge the reality of the loss and to identify areas that i needed to take acceptance and to lovingly call out you know the areas that that she fell short etc and it's not that i needed to have that conversation with her in person ex necessarily because the reality is our you know we we're cordial and I, we're even friendly now because she's also gone on a journey of healing as well. But just working with whatever it is, whether it's ketamine, ayahuasca, psilocybin, just there's there's so many things that can help assist you with approaching the grief process in, in a way that disrupts some of the some of the desire to stay in that victim state and to really keep your heart open and to process through and and ultimately you know i mean it's i i'm hesitant to say the goal because it's not like you arrive at a place but really regardless of why you got the divorce the the goal is to be able to move forward to have a life after divorce that doesn't incorporate the unhealthy aspects that you were stuck in within your previous marriage and and so riding those waves of grief or just giving yourself permission to ride that elevator of of those different stages and be aware that they may come up 
it helps you accept the reality of your life. It's not what you might have envisioned or desired or wanted, but it helps you move through that and begin to build a new life moving forward or, or to continue to build your life moving forward. And I think it's really important to, to be willing to set aside intentional time, whether that is sitting with plant medicine or um, you know, on your anniversary or coming into the holiday season to be aware that those waves may be present. And, you know, the, my partner is also divorced. And so we're able to have this common ground where, you know, I understand she still loves her ex. I still love, I will always love my ex. And, and so, um, the, it's not like you just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? But, right. It's the goal is to have that life after divorce and to not, and I think an important point is you don't want, it, it's not for a sake of living in the past, right? The, if, if you feel this wave, like when I had my anniversary day and had to kind of ride out this wave, I'm, I'm not just living in the past because that's essentially how the recipe for staying in that victim state, right? It, it's more so to acknowledge the reality of the beauty of marriage, of the love that you shared, of the memories that you had, the grief associated with the death and the loss of those, and just acknowledging those and being willing to ride out those waves or to hop on that elevator when it's time helps you actually move into a healthier new normal and and build your life moving forward. So I think you part of being a healthy, well-rounded man and living in a healthy state of masculinity is to be present in life. And part of being present is having your heart open. It is being willing to ride these waves and, and to essentially be proactive with leaning into the discomfort, like you said, um, because nobody wants to go feel these negative emotions. But the trade-off of being willing to feel the negative emotions keeps your heart in a position to be able to connect to the good that comes on the other side of them and the ability to be present in life because you've processed through the emotional energy that's associated with the grief and to really find a, a beautiful life on the other side of divorce. So let me ask, during that, uh, that MDMA experience, did you cry? You know, it's interesting because I didn't in that, in that process. Like mm -hmm. I, there's other times I've, I've sat with other plant medicine and I bawled my eyes out, yeah. but that was actually one thing that stood out to me was I, I didn't. And anybody mm -hmm. who knows me, like I'll, I'll cry on a, you know, sad commercial. Like I, I'm yeah. a softie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Me too. Um, you know, I mean, it says in the Bible that God stores all of our tears. It's really yeah. important, you know, to, to him. And I think there's a massive value because it's a physical representation of the release of a lot of emotion. And so I, I don't think that it has to be present to be able to release emotions, but I, I was so, and you know, I mean, MDMA is known as the love drug, right? Like I was so overcome mm. with love in that moment that the even though it was grief it was overridden by this gratitude and love that i had in the moment that i actually didn't cry i, I mean i've i've cried you know bottles of tears associated to the, the the grief with my divorce but actually when i was 
working through that with the MDMA, I, I wasn't crying at all. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a conversation that needs to be had with with men is because, you know, whether we're told directly as children not to cry, which happens a lot for boys, because uh, girls are expected to cry. Right. But boys, men are not expected to cry typically in, in sure. generations. Suck past. it up, be a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so we're not taught that that is an OK emotion, but it is so, so necessary for us to leverage that the the act of crying because i mean why were we given the ability to cry because it is a it is a method of purging emotions that don't serve us well anymore and i remember you know i didn't do a i don't i don't think i did a whole lot of crying in my in my teenage years um when i was overseas in in war and we lost a few men i remember crying uh, a little bit but i wasn't weeping you know it wasn't a hard cry but yeah i I grieved the loss of those of those men and and the um, the trauma of the event that ensued when we lost those men. But it wasn't until I I was dating this amazing woman uh, years and years ago, and I just couldn't get my shit together. You know, like I just I was not at a place where I could do relationship well, and she was yeah. incredible. And so I you know I moved away from the relationship. I I you know broke up with her because I was just like this isn't working, and maybe she's just not the one. And about two weeks after breaking up with her, I, I sober up, I come to my senses and I'm like, what am I doing? I just lost the most incredible woman. And I remember at that moment entering into this place of grief, like I lost something amazing. And this mm. was the first encounter I had with weeping, with weep, like hard crying, you know, where you're just snots pouring out of your nose and pouring out of your eyes and, um, and it was such a release and anybody that's, that's gone through it, you know, like when you, it's hard at the moment, but man, you feel amazing the next day. You feel yeah, amazing. And, yeah. I, and I think that, you know, if you look at the science of it and I'll, we'll probably talk about this whenever you, whenever you listen to Josh and I will, we'll talk about this more in the past, in the future, but like we hold our trauma, we hold our pain on a cellular level in our body. It's, it's chemical, you know, it is, it is a chemical release from the brain into the body. And when we do that, the body receives it and says, okay, well, how do we, how do we feel better? And a lot of times that's why people move into self-medicating with different things. Um, and the body's like, Ooh, this feels good. So every time we feel that emotion, let's, let's send a signal to our brain to remind it, to give us food or sex or gambling or TV so that we can you know, feel better when this emotion shows up. And I think that there's other ways to purge, us emo- purge these emotions other than medicating. And so when we don't grieve, when we don't allow ourselves to move into that place of grief, then we're robbing ourselves of something really mad. We're robbing ourselves of freedom. We stay locked into a prison of uh, self-medication and depression and victimhood and numbing out. So I just encourage men to allow yourselves to grieve and allow yourselves to cry. Allow yourselves, if you, if you engage with those emotions and just sit in it and don't run from it by medicating or getting distracted, yeah, yeah. you just sit in it and allow yourself to feel that. The tears will eventually come, whether it's tears of releasing trauma as a child, from, from your childhood, from your divorce, from the loss of a loved one, whatever it might be. Allow those tears to come because we're, we're purging those emotions, that, that trauma from our body, from a cellular level, even 
that came about because of the emotion. The emotion is actually releasing those chemicals into our body. So when you understand the science of it, you go, okay, that makes, that makes sense. And it's not so abstract anymore. Um, but I just, I say all that just to encourage people because women are really great at it. You know, women know how to do it really well. I think men yeah. have a little, need a little more encouragement or just the permission. Like I give you permission now to allow yourselves to cry. And that's all I got to say on that note. That. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. We're just going to sit in silence and let the men mm. cry. No, <laughs> um, I, I, I love that. And that could probably be another episode in and of itself, right? The value of tears. Yeah. Um, but really it's, you know, going back to this whole thing of processing grief in, in this, in the attempt to navigate through it instead of try to suppress it for the ultimate goal of being able to find that acceptance and, and then evolve as a man, right? That's, that's really the driving force of healthy masculinity is to grow and evolve into the king and the man that you were meant to be. And every time that you choose to escape or suppress or try to ignore what you're doing is, is you are adding another anchor to your ship and still trying to move forward. It can still move forward, but each time that you respond to these major life events that require your willingness to lean into the discomfort instead of sit in it, like you said, then you are ultimately sabotaging yourself and your ability to, to move into your strength, which I think a lot of men are afraid of actually embracing their strength. And, um, and so I, seeing divorce for what it is, seeing it as, as a death and being willing to lean into and sit in the discomfort of the grief and to navigate through those stages or ride that elevator and, and learn how to see those waves coming. Or even if you don't like it, it was in my case that when you realize that you're in the middle of riding one of those waves to, to respond with an open heart instead of shutting down and suppressing is ultimately what will give you the capacity and the ability to fully embrace your strength. <laughs>